0: and practice positions like that chap on the slide there, uh, so that we can get, the LCL head, so that we can get stronger. I mean, I mean, are you telling me, you telling me you can't do that? I don't know, I don't know. How to get stronger, do you want to get stronger? I mean, maybe you want to get stronger in your, your physique. I took, I took up uh, yoga uh, last year, like last year. I'm rubbish at it, I'm very embarrassed, and all the doors are shut. My wife is not allowed in the room while I'm trying to do my yoga. Very embarrassing, but nonetheless, it's good for me. Getting stronger is something most of us would like to have, and the ability to do, would like to do, and that's true not only physically perhaps, but in many areas of life, including our faith. How does our faith get stronger? Now, we could be here for several days discussing that. But what we're going to do today is look at one critical component of that that we learn from the first five verses of chapter 3 of First Thessalonians. So, I have somebody coming to read. Who is it? I forget. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who our brother and co-worker, in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ and strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by the child. For, for you know, for you know quiet quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we <coughs> were with you and we kept telling you telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that and it turned out that way, as you well know for this reason and for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the temper had te- tempted you and that, and that our neighbors might have been in vain. Fantastic. Great reading, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for excellent reading. And uh, also, hello to all the online people today. Hope you're having a good day and a good time. And uh, I'm glad you can join us. Let's talk about Paul's emotional state. How's Paul feeling? Paul's writing this, right? He's got a very close relationship with the church in Thessalonica, remember? He was there for, how long was he there when he started the church? Three weeks or thereabouts. Okay, how long has it been since he was there when he's writing this letter? A About a year. And what's going on in Thessalonica? Just to remind ourselves, What's why is he writing the letter? What are some of the things that are going on? What do we know? How are they feeling? How are they doing? What's it like for them back in Thessalonica? What would you say? They're doing well, they are doing well, they are growing, strong in their love in many ways. Strong church, not a weak church. What else? What are they going through? So later on in the chapter, later on in the in the book, actually at the very end of chapter three and then chapter four, we're going to find that Paul addresses some issues around the second coming of Christ. So they've got questions about what's called the second advent, and that's coming up, but also they've got Opposition, right? And why do they have opposition? What's causing the opposition? So this is a guess. <laughs> but I guess because they've chosen to follow Christ and they're not, um, so they're not being sort of Jews in my sense any longer, which would automatically generate a lot of hostility from the strictly Jewish community. And those who were serving God at all was like the adversary, so they are kind of going to get attacked from all sides, basically, one way or another. Thus, the devil will no doubt find something just to add into that general mix. Oh, very true. He he tends to do that. He throwing extra things into the mix, uh, problematically. Yes. Okay. Any other thoughts? So Paul has been writing to these people because they are undergoing the they're undergoing the same kind of suffering a persecution while Paul was there, except that now it's been a year since he was there, and they're undergoing it on their own, and they're being disturbed by a lot of these things. Like you said, some of them are Jews uh, that have joined and become Christians, and they would have been separated from their Jewish friends and family, and they would have been under a lot of pressure, and the majority of the church were not Jewish. They were Gentile. We know that because Paul talks about the fact they turned from idols to serve the living God, right, in of chapter 1, verse 9, verse 10. So they turned from the idols, and Jews wouldn't have done that. That would have been the Gentile people. So, and when you turn away from idols and idol worship, you, you kind of put yourself outside of the norms of culture and society. You remember one of the quotes I gave you one week was, uh, by Tom Wright saying it's a bit like becoming a Christian and giving up idol worship would be a bit like the equivalent for us of giving up televisions, phones and cars. Right? That's the cost of becoming a Christian. It's so extreme. No wonder they stood out and they were given give a hard time. So that's sort of what's going on. And Paul is very concerned for them. So how do you think he's feeling? How is he feeling? Anxious, nervous. Very worried. Yeah. Sir. Sorry? Concerned. Concerned. Probably not sure if you did the right thing or not by leaving. Well you wonder if you, you leave and then they have all these problems, should you stay longer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or should he try to stay longer at least? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What responsibility does he have for their Charges. challenges? Maybe. Mm-hmm. So when we could stand it no longer. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What kind of things, (laughs) I have to ask this question cautiously, but what kind of things can you just not stand, all right, now be, be, you know, be appropriate here, but uh, one of the the things in life, you you know, in Christianity you're outside, either way, but you're just like, I cannot understand how someone can put up with that, I cannot stand that. What sort of things bug you like that, emotionally? Bad manners. Bad manners. What is that about? In places today? Okay. Extremely prideful people. Really? Boastful and arrogant. Arrogant, boastful, prideful people. Okay. What else can we not stand? Taking law into your own hands, although you're living a lawless life. Living a lawless life, but taking the law into your own hands. That's uh, the taxi drivers in (laughs) South (laughs) Africa. Yeah, I can understand. (laughs) No comment. No comment. And what else? What else can we not stand? Letter, <laughs> <laughs> letter. Especially if it's right next to the bed. Especially right next to the bed. I had a conversation 15 years ago, which I still remember, with a friend of mine called Chris Chin. Some of might know Chris. I was having a chat with him about values because he was doing some research and study in values, and I was like, I don't know, how do I know what my values are? I asked him. He said. He said, "Notice what makes you instantly angry, and that will tell you what you value because it's violating something that you really value." And I thought, and he said, "What's the first thing that comes to your mind?" And I said, "People who throw litter out of a car window." Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing that came to my mind. I go, I get, I, I get ridiculously annoyed by that. Like on the level of things in life that are really bad, it's really not that bad, right? I I get so angry, I want to pull up alongside and wind the window down and say, what do you think you will do? Stop your car and pick up that rubbish and take it home! What's wrong with you? That's what I want to do. I haven't done it yet. (laughs) I feel like it every time. But there's certain things, we just cannot stand it, right? right. And and what it does is it, it changes the way we feel about the situation, And generally speaking, it prompts us to act. It prompts us to act. And I think as a Christian, as we follow Jesus, or the inspiration of someone like the Apostle Paul, we should be asking ourselves whether the things we cannot stand are the same kinds of things, that Jesus couldn't stand, or the Apostle Paul couldn't stand. And as I say, a lot we could talk about this. I mean, there's so much to talk about from the example of Jesus and what he couldn't stand. We're going to have time today to look into all of that. But I'd encourage you, maybe do your own Bible study in this. And have a look through one of the Gospels. Pick one Gospel and go through and just note times when Jesus said, no, or that's enough, or, I, and he takes action on something because it bothers him so much. Have a look. I think you might find that. Really illuminating. And the then we even look at our values. Bill. The money traders, hmm? The money traders in the temple. Yeah. Couldn't stand it, could it? he? So what, really did? what did he do? He chucked them, them out. He made a whip, whip of course. <laughs> and drove them out. Now, I don't think he whipped them, but I don't think, I think he would have done that. But, but so I guess he's, he's flaming it around or something. I mean, why'd you have it, right? He's not saying, I've made a whip of cords, I'm going to put this on one side now. Would you please mind leaving? I mean, that's not it, right? He's got his whip of cords. He's like, chaps, it's time to get out. And you can see them. And if he was joking, they wouldn't have paid any attention. They could see in his eyes. Yeah. I have a reason for this. They left. All the animals left. All the money changers left. It's a very good point. So I think here's the thing: is from this passage, what I'd like to briefly just to have a look at it, is, what's going on here. What could Paul not stand? And I think the main thing he couldn't stand was, well, if we look at the answer to what's going, why he's wanting to help, he says he sent Timothy. He couldn't go. Remember from the previous ch- uh, section, he tried again and again to go, but Satan stopped him. He couldn't go, so God had another plan, and that was to send Timothy. So he says, "We well, sent Timothy. I decided it'd be better for me to be on my, my own in Athens." on his own. He always worked with a team. But he says, no, Timothy, or Silas, whoever else has got to go, you go, I'll go and look after me here on my own, in this city. You go, this amazing guy, Timothy, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. That's what he's wanting to do. Strengthen them in their faith, and encourage them in their faith, so that, protected, no one would be unsettled by these trials. Because he knows these trials unsettle Christians, because trials unsettle all of us. Trials are tough, trials make us doubt, trials make us fearful, trials are the tough things in life. But we don't need to be unsettled by them. Pulled off course, another way of translating the word, is like a uh, like uh, drifting out of sea from a harbour or something like that, or being pulled out by a tide. And you don't need to be pulled off course. But in order not to be pulled off course by the trials of life, and honestly, I don't know about you, but I'm finding what's going on in the world right now really unsettling on lots of levels. Whether it's Ukraine or whether it's other things that are going on in, in this country and abroad, not to mention the things in my own life, some of my family challenges. And Penny, her father's in and out of hospital right now. is back in the hospital again this week. Don't know really what's wrong. You know, it's, it's a. Do we go visit? Do we not? Who's helping who? And you know, stepmom, and then um, mom has got some challenges with health. I feel like I'm easily, normally there's a bit of a barrier somewhere between the things that are unsettling me and my own settled peace of Christ in me, right? There's a bit of a a bigger barrier, but it feels to me at the moment like that barrier is really thin. It doesn't take a lot to push through it. We've all got those trials, and what we need is we need strengthening and encouraging in our faith. And this is what Paul is doing, is what he's trying to do. Faith gets stronger when we get upset. That's what I was saying. You know, when we're passionate about something, we act. And if we're going to see our faith strengthened, we've got to step out. Step out, but first get upset about the right things. Now, whenever we think about war or whatever we think about other things that are going on in life in the world that aren't good, we can only be really upset about a small number and, be, and make that useful to us. If you're upset about everything, you're just a horrible person to be with. Because all the time you're just saying how everything is horrible, right? It's not true that everything is horrible. I went out this morning feeling the burden. But once I go into the woods, I started walking around and thinking, God is here, he's with me, he loves me, and these woods are really quite nice. I can't see any war here in the woods. I can't see any ill people like ill relatives in the woods. I'm in the woods. What a nice thing to be in the woods. I mean, it's not like ever everything is horrible and nasty and needs changing. So we've got to figure out what are the key things to be really upset about. And for him, he could stand it no longer that they were troubled by, they were troubled by things that, that unsettled their faith. And one of the things that it, it, I think as a Christian community we have to do, I don't like saying it quite like that, but I think it's true, I think we have to take care of the responsibility to strengthen one another's faith, That's right. to encourage one another's faith. It's never the responsibility of only one person. And of course, it's not only the responsibility of us here, we have friends outside of this congregation that can help us, but but certainly as a community of faith, as a family of God, we've got to accept the responsibility of saying, if I can strengthen your faith, I would like to. And if you could strengthen my faith, I would really be grateful for that. We're not going to grow in our faith unless we're a community which is upset, or uh, what's the phrase he uses, He, he, he can't stand it any longer, that someone is struggling with their faith—that should upset us in a spiritual sense. Of course, not in a judgmental sense. Like I make it strong, yours is weak. You need me. Aha. <laughs> Let's go and have a coffee, and I'll explain to you all the ways that you need me to help you with that, your That's not that's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about a mutual exploration of how's it how's it going. Recently, I was at an event somewhere else. And I noticed two people in the the room I was in, who who normally are really energetic and lively, uh, whatever, and it was a Christian event, and uh, they looked quite down. And so uh, they left, and I I called them later, and I said, uh, I said something, I didn't say any down. I was, are you weak in your faith? I said something like, you didn't look yourself today. You look tired, are you okay? And that's where you start, right? Because. You know, for this couple, what happened was they had a very demanding weekend, they had people over, they stayed later than they expected them to stay, They had been some other things that had happened, you know how it is, right? And they were just really, really tired. And actually their faith was just fine, they were great, they were doing fine. But they appreciated my asking. And I think sometimes we build this stuff up to be bigger than it needs to be. It's not like you have to have a PhD in theology to be able to encourage someone in their faith. You don't have to know everything about counseling and therapy. You just need to ask a kind question. A kind and open question. And with that, then conversations begin. And when conversations begin, then we might have the opportunity to encourage each other in our faith. In faith. This morning I... I got back from my well during my prayer time. I, a text message came in, uh, and and it was a brother who I know, but not very closely. But just said, "Hi, Malcolm, how are you? Uh, I've been praying for you this morning. Just wondered how you are." I was really touched by that because this is not somebody I see very often. It's not we're not even that close in some ways. We know each other. He's from another part of the church, and. Um, And we haven't talked recently at all. But I don't don't know what he was praying about for me, but I'm glad someone's praying for me. And it's really nice to know that he would ask. Simple thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It lifted my spirits. And I thought, gosh, so he's praying for me. Then it made me think, I wonder who else is praying for me. I just don't know about it. Mm -hmm. And it encouraged my spirit to think about those things. Faith gets stronger when we get upset about the right things. And when one of the key things is that we can then help people with their faith. That's what he wants to do. And he sends Timothy, because he then he acts, you know, and it's it's about acting. It's saying not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. But that's not helpful, is it? We can't be silent and we can't be static. We need to be people who speak and people who act. In love. With and for one another. Because it's about love. We act because of love, not because of duty, or because we feel sorry for somebody, or we want to judge them. But we do it out of love, and that was Paul's heart for the Thessalonians we we looked at this previously in other uh, parts of the uh, book earlier. He has a huge heart for them. He says, I'm like a nursing mother, like a like a loving father with you. He wants their best interest, and so he sends Timothy on quite a difficult journey. Timothy had to make quite a sacrifice. Uh, let me give you a little quiz here. So, uh, what's the peace stand for? Where do you think that is? Let's do a little geography test. Where's, what's the P? Philippi. Okay, that's where he was before he went to Thessalonians. So what's the T stand for? Thessalonians. That's Thessalonians, that's where he was after Philippi. Then he went to B? Maria. Maria. From there he went to A? Athens. Athens. And from there he went to C? Corsair. Oh, we're really good at <laughs> there. top marks, everybody. Excellent. So that was his journey. And he's writing from Athens, or possibly Corinth. Actually, we're not quite sure could be either of those two. <laughs> But look at the journey for Timothy to go north back to Thessalonica in the first century. It's a long way. It would take a long time. And it would have been dangerous. Would you go by boat? Would that be just as long? It would have been it would have taken less time, depending on the tide, the time of year. It would depend on the time of year more than anything, and what you could afford. If you could afford to go by boat and it wasn't winter, you might well go by boat. But if it was winter you almost certainly wouldn't. It's a long way, isn't it? And boats were very risky. The thing about boats was they were uh, much quicker, but they were also I mean, there were lots of shipwrecks. So you only went by boat if you really if time was of the essence in those days. Paul was shipwrecked at least four times. Four times. I mean, one would be enough. I wouldn't get back on a boat after that. <laughs> four times he be shipwrecked. So, and the four that we know of, anyway. So this is Timothy making a great sacrifice. Just to help people with their faith. I mean, I say just, but you understand what I mean? I mean, it's not tangible. It's not like, I oh, know, I'll go and help you build your house. I'll help you go and start a business. I'll help you with babysitting your children. Or, I don't know, something tangible in that sense. But no, I'm going to go to help you with your faith, to encourage you to help you be stronger in your faith. I look at this and I feel, I'm trying to get the right word. Therapists here will to really correct me, like Charlotte and and, uh, and, and Kate, because those may not be the right words, but I feel sometimes a sense of shame at my hesitancy in doing a little bit of effort to encourage somebody. What I would regard as a small amount of effort, a message, a phone call. Like, what? He, he would travel that far to encourage people in their faith, and I can't pick up the phone? <laughs> What's wrong with me? Now, Contexts are different for us today than then. I'm not trying to make a direct comparison. We are not Timothy. That's not Thessalonica. But I do think it's worth thinking about, the, about how much if we love people and we want them to be strong in their faith, that we make the effort. We make the effort to step outside of our comfort zone take time. I appreciate the teens coming to Thames Valley next week. And it's a, a sacrifice for them. All right? That's a whole, pretty much a whole day. And it's a sacrifice for people like Danny or Victor or others who are going to be taking them, driving them all the way there. And that, I think that, is a, that is an act of sacrifice to help these teenagers with their faith, to encourage and strengthen them. I hope it also will encourage Danny and everybody else involved. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about. We're talking about traveling to encourage people. We're talking about time to encourage people. We're talking about energy given to encourage other people. And along with that, we have to acknowledge there's a risk. There's a risk in this. Why do we have? Why is there a risk? Well, there's several risks. One is you could try and encourage somebody, and they may not appreciate it. That's the truth, isn't it? Sometimes we get resistance. Sometimes that's not good on their part, and sometimes it might be because we were insensitive and judgmental. So but it, still, it can hurt when you try to help somebody, and then they say, "No, thank you." Or worse than that, by who are you to judge me? You know these kind of things happen. Right? There's a risk there. The outcome is uncertain. You might do all your best to help somebody, and they might still struggle in their faith and even leave the faith. Do your best, but the outcome is not is not given, not given. So in the end, this is my closing thought before we think about Jesus and uh, the community. In the end, what I'm encouraging myself to do and all of us to do, is to act in this way, sacrificial action out of of love for people, and to do it by faith. We met with some of the men on Wednesday night, and one of the things in our discussion about this issue on Wednesday night was about the issue that none of us feel like we have enough time to do more than we're already doing. None of us feel like we have enough energy spare to do more than we're already doing. We all understand that, right? We've got challenging lives in many different ways. So how are we going to encourage each other and strengthen each other in the faith? Only by faith. And this last few days, last Sunday, I shared with you openly about my, the challenge from my friend, Stevie, who rebuked me for uh, 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 not loving him in a way that was right. And uh, I had a really good conversation with him about that. And I resolved this week to, to make some steps, some action steps, to connect more with people. And I made a number. I won't share all, all of it, but I did contact with a lot of old friends, people. Some of you will know Archie Kendall. Uh, got a hold of him. He's in uh, Sri Lanka at the moment. We had a great conversation over <clears throat> over Zoom, uh, talking about lots of things. I con- connected with old friends in our sister congregation in London. Um, I connected with an old university friend of mine. Uh, I connected with people in uh, Thames Valley that I've not talked to for quite some time. One or two people are here. Somebody in Birmingham I know. And it's funny enough because, and here's the thing that I realized after the end of the week. I probably put 10 hours into these things more than last last week, I would say. Maybe 10 hours perhaps more connecting the people, talking to people, more than last week. That's quite a lot, lot of time. I still got everything else done that I needed to get done. It still got done. The so sermon got prepared. Song got prepared. The class and lessons I was recording that needed to get recorded for here or for Thames Valley still got done. I still, still talk to my wife. <laughs> which is always a good thing. I still got some exercise. Some yoga. I, I still got I didn't get everything done I wanted to get done. But I got everything done I needed to get done. I thought that's a really good lesson for me. It's about living by faith. So please hear me well. I'm not saying you need to put five, ten 10 hours next week to talk to people. That's not what I'm saying at all. I think what I am saying is we have to very consciously and deliberately strengthen one another. Because who who else is going to do it? Who else is going to do it? And my feeling is, for myself, is that we're not back to where we were pre-COVID. In my opinion, it's my opinion. My opinion, our relationships were deeper two and a half years ago than they are now generally. And I think we've got some more recovery here to talk about our faith with each other. To really talk. And it's fine to talk about the weather and everything else, no problem. But talking about our prayer life, our devotion to scripture, our heart, where are we with God? How are we doing with Jesus? Is the spirit at, at, at work in us? Strengthening one another's faith, encouraging each other's faith so that we will not be unsettled by these trials not being unsettled by these trials. So, I don't like formulas, I don't believe in formulas, but I just want an, Ill- it's an illustration. okay? If we're gonna get stronger in our faith in helping each other, first of all, we get upset about the right things. We get upset if someone in our fellowship is struggling in some way. We're like, that, that's not good, let's, let's help, let's help. Then we act, motivated by love, and act in faith, and then I believe we will see stronger Faith. Stronger faith. Ephesians four, verse twenty-five: Each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Speaking truthfully to one another, our yeah, faith will get stronger. You know, just to finish, and then uh, Chantil, Chantil, there. You, you will pray for us in a moment before we take bread right of mine. As I've been thinking about this the last few days. And I've been praying more for people, including people here. It's really occurred to me how lucky I am to be here. I mean, I I kind of always feel that, but it's been highlighted for me the last few days. I feel so lucky to be part of this fellowship. I feel so lucky to have friends. So lucky to do the Christian life together with you. I feel so lucky. I mean, lucky isn't really quite the right word. I know it's, it's inadequate. But there's nowhere else I'd rather be. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. I've had some good times as a Christian in various places in my Christian life. But I can say, with all my heart, I, I, I don't want to be anywhere else. This is the best place for, for me. I, I feel that deeply. I just want you to know, I want us to know, I want us to feel that way about each other. I hope we do. But I think as we pray more for each other, by name, and as we talk about our faith together, we will find ourselves... Confirmed as being in the best place we could be. Not perfect, not without its troubles, not without our sins against each other at times, but the right place. I hope you feel that. I mean, I feel like I'm in the right place. Because Christ has brought us together. Now when we think about all this, the greatest example of this is Jesus himself, who was who was in the heaven of his, and at some point I imagine the conversation between him and God the Father was like, Jesus said, you see those people down there on earth? You see them suffering? You see them suffering for their sins? You see they don't have a, a, a living relationship with you, God, Father? And Jesus saying, I can stand it no longer. I've got to go. And so he can. Because he couldn't stand to see us without the Spirit. So he came and he sacrificed much more than anybody ever has. He sacrificed himself on the cross so that our faith could be real. We could be strong, encouraged, and not distressed and disturbed by the We take bread and wine now to remind us what he did.